The subject matter this morning is building big people. We're in a series that's entitled Big God in a Small City. Our God does big things in small places, sometimes places that people would say are abandoned or insignificant or they don't really matter. Uh, those are the places where God glories to show his goodness and his greatness. So Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18 is our foundational verse for this series. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. I want to expound on that verse. And so just if you would allow me for a minute, open your ears and hear the expanded version of this verse. Where there is no revelation, vision, prophetic word, or divine guidance, the people cast off restraint. They show no self-control. They run wild in the streets. But happy, blessed, envy, fortunate is he who keeps the law or the word of God. You know, when people don't have the light of God's word in their life as a guide, they are like a city without walls. They're susceptible to being overthrown by their enemies. God's word really is what upholds us. Scripture says he upholds things by the word of his power. And when people move away from the foundation of the word, they move to very unstable places. Scripture likens it to a man who tries to build his house on a sand, sandy foundation. And when the storms came, he didn't have anything underneath him to uphold him. And so the storm took everything. But, you know, when you have a foundation that's built on a rock, which is the word of God, then when the storms come and they come to all of us, you'll be standing after the storm leaves. So God's word is vital to our health, our well-being, our sense of identity, to the direction that God has for our life. And without it, we're like a, a uh, we're like a uh, uh, someone who's taking a journey uh, without a compass. You know, we can lose our way so quickly. You know, we might think we're going in the right direction, and we could end up in the wrong place just because we don't have light and guidance and a, and a prophetic word in our life. It's, it's that vital. And because it's so important, I, I know that you're aware of this, but just as a point of remembrance, if I was the enemy, if I was the devil, I would do anything and everything within my ability to keep people from spending time in the Word of God. I, I, would, I would tell them to do noble things, to do good things, uh, I would keep them busy doing activities, looking forward to events. I would have them stack their schedule and their calendar so full that they believe that they're actually impacting and making a difference, but they themselves are a well that's running out of water. Yeah. I would do it. I would do it day in and day out. I would convince them that the laundry's more important, mowing the lawn's more important, watching TV's more important. I, I would tell them that ball games are more important and that, you know, going to the movie is more important. I, I would tell them everything I could to try to convince them to rearrange their priorities and take God out of the driver's seat and put him in the passenger seat. I, I would work relentlessly, tirelessly. And so, if I, if I can come up with, with that kind of conclusion, imagine how hard the enemy is working in reality, how sly he is, how smooth he is. And, you know, today we're in the midst of a, a summer swing. Everyone understands we've got uh, lots of people that are out on vacation, family reunions, and doing things that, you know, they've been looking for. They're, 
that are on their calendar. I'm not talking about, you know, those type of activities. I'm just talking about things that pull us away from God and keep us from God's word. So in and of itself, anything that I just shared is not evil in and of itself, unless it takes precedent to where God should be in our life. Then it becomes what scripture calls an idol. We look forward to those things more than we do our fellowship with God. You know, we can't wait for the premiere of the next big blockbuster movie, and we look forward to that more than we do the gathering of God's people and what he could do in our midst. To where we stop entering into our prayer closets with a sense of anticipation and expectation, and we just sort of mumble some words and hope that heaven hears us. And I would do all that I could to try to exhaust people's energy and their resources and their creativity and to get them to misplace their priorities because I know that if I was the enemy, that life is found here. Direction is found here. Vision is found here. Purpose is found here. And when those things come into our lives, then we're changed. We're transformed. Scripture says that we go from faith to faith and glory to glory. And, and when you think about that's promotion, your, your faith increases and your capacity to experience the goodness and the glory of God and to express that to other people, uh, is, is, uh, just grows. It's terrific. So vision is more than the ability to see. It is what keeps us from living beneath our God given potential. Jesus asked us to lift up our eyes and see the possibility and the potential of what God can do when we trust in him. D.L. Moody, when he was a young man, went and heard another minister speak. And this minister made a statement that that struck a chord with D.L. Moody. And he said this, the world is yet to see what God can do through a man or woman who is completely yielded to him. And D.L. Moody heard those words and they registered in his heart. And he said, sign me up. I want to be that man. I'll talk a little bit more about D.L. Moody here in a moment. So as God lets us know what he wants to do in and through us, it will be something that only he can do. It must be bigger than ourselves. If it's a God vision, if it's a God, it's something from the Lord, it requires something of us. It requires us to commit, to trust, to believe, to follow, to submit, to obey. It costs us something. There has to be an expression of our lives back to God that, yes, we heard you, And we're willing to do what you said to do. While it's outside of our comfort zone, while it might seem strange to us, we can't figure it out, we can see it's in keeping with your ways and your word. And so we're humbled that you have knocked on the door of our heart and invited us to do something with you that's bigger than ourselves. So when we hear from the Lord... He's not calling us to accomplish his assignments with our own ingenuity, ability, or limited resources. He asks us to join this partnership by faith, 
to proceed with him confidently, knowing the good work that God has begun in us, he will be faithful to complete. Now, some people believe that God will never ask them to undertake anything that seems impossible. Well, the only way that all things are possible with God is if something is impossible with us. If it was possible with us, we wouldn't need to partner with God. We, we wouldn't even need to call upon the Lord. But since what God invites us to is bigger than ourselves, the possibilities are because of his possibilities working with us. So when God asks us to do something, some people believe that it will never cost them anything, that God would never lead them into do, doing something that they couldn't afford or to work outside of their comfort zone, or to do something that's beyond their natural gifts. But if we do everything within our own ability or giftedness, then how can God get glory for that? Now, I think God works within the parameters of giftedness, and I think there are times where he asks us to do something that's right in the middle of our wheelhouse. But... When he asks us to do it, he may ask us to do it in a way that it stretches us. Some of you have musical gifts, and you know you have musical gifts, but you're not using them to serve the Lord. You might be using them, you know, within the framework of just enjoying music in your own home or among friends, or maybe every now and then you venture out and do something fun like a karaoke night. Uh, and, and you just, but you know you have musical gifts, but you're not being stretched with your musical gifts. So your musical gifts are becoming stagnant and they remain small where God wants them to grow and become big. Some of you have teaching abilities, the ability to instruct and to, to take abstract truths and to bring them over into concrete illustrations. That's what teachers do. They take something that, you know, really is somewhat fuzzy to the human intellect and through a series of instructions and illustrations and examples and repetition, it brings light and understanding to those that they are teaching. That's a gift, but maybe you're just using it within the framework of your own home and you're not being stretched to use it beyond the capacities of you and your spouse and your two kids and you four and no more. And yet God is inviting us to something larger and to something bigger. Some people believe that their season of significance has faded like the sunset. I'm at that season in my life, Pastor, where I just don't feel I have much to offer. And I would concur, maybe you don't, but your God does through you. You know, never discount that you and God are a majority. Sometimes when we first come to faith in Christ, I mean, we're ready to take on the world. You know, as one man said, we're going to attack hell with a water pistol. We're just going to go forward and we're fearless and we're faithful and we're just full of zeal. But somehow, potentially, as we age and as maybe our lives come into different seasons, we don't feel like we qualify for those that are front line on the front line anymore. Let somebody else attack hell with a water pistol, I'll encourage them from the sidelines. I, I want to encourage you to get off the sidelines because the wisdom that some of you older saints have, the younger ones long to hear that are in the world today. They really need it. 
And while they might roll their eyes and waggle their tongue conversationally at you, they'll never forget the investment that you made in their life because it will bear fruit. My favorite people when I first came to faith in Christ and I was single uh, in the church and single through, you know, pretty much a, a portion of, of my 20s. And I really, I had friends that were peers, same age, same season in life. But the people that I chose to hang around with were people that had some substance to them. A lot of my friends were like me, you know, wet behind the ears and didn't have enough sense to get out of the rain. And so I wanted to hang around some folks that had been seasoned and nurtured and mature and actually sought those relationships out when I was, uh, when I was, you know, young in the faith and, and sensed a, a call of God on my life. And, and it continued through my Bible school training years that instead of going to, uh, the, the small group or the life group that was within my age category, I went with the married couples and, and I'd show up as a single guy and they'd look at me and I came in and, and through those relationships, uh, I, I had wisdom and experience and knowledge and understanding deposited in my life that I still draw upon today. I, I would go to, to lunch with them. And since they were, see, that was smart because they were at a different season in life and they took me better places than Whataburger and McDonald's. And so we would go to the, these restaurants where they had waiters. Right. And they would ask for your order and you would be actually served by another person. It was it was terrific. And we would I would ask questions and they would share with me what they had learned in life. And listen, our people, our young people need that today. Our young people need that today. And they're honored when you think of them, when you call them and or text them or however you want to communicate with them. So God calls us to live a life that's bigger than just ourselves. He invites us into life from his perspective. And when we begin to take this journey and take these steps of faith, we understand that many of the testimonies of our life can only be explained with the words, but God, but the grace of God. And because of this, we become a powerful witness to God's presence and guidance in our life. So let me transition now and invite you to find John's Gospel chapter one as I, I talk about how to build big people. How to build big people. Jesus was a master at it. John's Gospel chapter one and beginning in the 35th verse, it says, Again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, He said, behold, the Lamb of God. This isn't the first time that John apparently has pointed people to Jesus. It says again the next day. So this was a common practice for John that while he had disciples that were a part of his life, he knew ultimately that he would have to surrender them to the Christ, the Son of the living God. And verse 37, it says, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. That's four o'clock in the afternoon. 
One of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone or a rock. His Jesus' first impression is impressive. Jesus' first impression is impressive. Jesus invested in people. And God is committed to growing big people who know him and are therefore able to do great exploits in the earth. Uh, Peter didn't know Jesus at this point in time, but Jesus was aware of who Peter was. And... Jesus invested in Peter so Peter could become the rock. He could become stable and strong. Because that is the will of God for each and every one of us. Jesus spent his life investing in people, instructing people, and involving people in his mission to seek and save that which was lost. Instead of putting all of our time and energy and resources into stocks, bonds, and retirement funds, we should be mindful also of investing in people because no man is poor who is rich in relationships. No man is poor who is rich in relationships. Luke's Gospel chapter 8, if you would turn there just for a moment. Luke's Gospel chapter 8, we're talking about building big people and looking at the Lord and how he did it John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 43, if you would, and we'll be reading down through uh, the 48th verse. Excuse me, Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. If I said John, forgive me, go back to the book of Luke. And verse 43 through 48. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians, and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was Hidden, She came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was immediately healed or healed immediately. And he said to her daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus declared that somebody had touched him. He affirmed that this woman and her faith had value. Jesus testifies of this woman's faith that allowed virtue or life to flow from Christ to her meeting all of her needs. She had nothing to offer Jesus except her faith. And Jesus said, that's the currency I'm looking for. She had no money. She had gone to good physicians and good physicians were not able to help her. But the great physician met her need and did above and beyond all she could even ask or think. But it began when she went outside of her comfort zone. 
She went outside of the parameters of what was permitted for her. And she took a step of faith. She could have, you know, sunk back into the crowd. She could have stayed home and, and you know, wallowed in self-pity. But she didn't go there. She went to a place that was restricted to her socially. But it was a place where she knew the master was. A place where Jesus was calling her beyond herself. And in doing this, she experienced God. She experienced and encountered God. And what kind of God? A God that was bigger than her issue of blood. A God that was greater than her problem. And that set her life on a different path and trajectory. And it made her vision of God enlarged. But she didn't do it without faith. She didn't do it without stepping out of her comfort zone. She did something that was not permitted, but was, right, recognized and affirmed by Jesus. Not only was this woman significant, her faith was significant. And there's hundreds of people that are waiting for someone to help them to see that they're significant. And that their faith matters. And they're not a nobody. And that in Christ, they're a somebody. There are multitudes of people that have spent their resources, their time, their energy, their life in looking and longing for a better or a better quality of life and are still empty and dry. In everything that they were hoping that the medical science could provide, or maybe joining this group could provide, all of them left them dissatisfied. But just like this woman, we can come to Jesus and he invests in us. He instructs us. He even took time to seek her out, the one that sought him out. He took a moment and said, somebody touched me. You know, everybody else was like, so what? Big deal. A lot of people here. Let's move on. Let's carry on. And Jesus was saying, no, you don't understand. That person that touched me, I need to turn around and share with them. They touched me. They touched me in several different ways. They touched me in a way that they believed that I was able to make a difference in their life. They came with a heart that was open and receptive. Somebody touched me. It, it was not, it's not insignificant. I, wherever I'm going can wait for a minute. I have to find this individual. And it was at that moment that the woman felt safe enough yes. to come out from hiding and to reveal her condition. And in that setting, Jesus set an example for his disciples and for everyone else who was there whose heart was open and listening is never Pass up an opportunity to invest in people. Never keep going when somebody touches you. When somebody does something for you. When somebody recognizes you. When somebody affirms you. When somebody honors you. When somebody calls you and you stop because that's significant. Don't you believe that your agenda is bigger than that? Individual, Don't you believe that you're better than that individual? 
Oswald Chambers said that when God created the universe, he did it out of nothing. And as soon as we believe we're nothing, God can make something out of us. Jesus did not have a better than mentality. He came to serve and to help those that were broken. He invested in people. He took time to hear their story. And he affirmed and acknowledged that their faith had value. I love this about Jesus. So, building big people happens when we invest in others. When we instruct others. And when we involve others in God's vision for their lives. There is treasure in every human vessel. But it must be mined. There is gold in every person. There's diamonds that are in the rough that are in every individual. And people think, I'm a lump of coal. You are till you're exposed to the right environment. Then you become a diamond. I mean, a lump of coal is a lump of coal until you get it in the right environment and until you put it in the, in the right atmosphere. Then it is transformed. And people see beauty. The beauty was there. It was just veiled. It was hidden till someone called it out. Till someone invested in that individual. Till someone instructed that individual and helped that individual. See, big God in a small city. Small city sometimes does this to us. It's like, you know, putting the blinders onto a horse. But you take the blinders off and you begin to get vision that's around you. Your peripheral vision opens up. You recognize someone to the left or to the right. It's just not this way in life anymore. It opens up and expands. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And what he wants to do in your life, in my life. Well, I'm going to share with you four points that I believe are valid. And if you're a note taker, these are worth writing down. I want to Remind you that God speaks into our lives. That's how we invest in us. God invests in us by speaking into our life. God strengthens us when he speaks into our life. He pulls us out of a place of weakness and insignificance, low self-esteem, woundedness, hurt, addictive to negative things. And he pulls us up out of the miry clay. He strengthens us and he upholds us, Scripture said. Then God stretches us. We heard Savannah share this morning that she's been stretched. But in that stretching, you have more capacity. Anyone who's ever done anything that that you want to do well, whether it's musically or athletically or in the arts or or just in in physical fitness, you know, any of those things, uh, uh, you get stretched. And in your stretching, you see your capacity. My senior year um, in our, our PE class, everyone had to run an eight-minute mile. Well, it was, it was the goal. It wasn't as if you didn't run an eight-minute mile that they were going to throw you out of school, but it was the goal. And so the coaches began to get us as a class prepared in PE, you know, and running and being able to run a mile. And that was a stretch for some of my fellow students. For, for some that were involved in athletics, it wasn't a stretch. But it was fun to see how people grew and how people developed and how their confidence grew. And then the time came when 
you know, there was a time where someone couldn't make it one time around the lap without, uh, around the track without walking, that the day came and, and we all were on the line and what, and the gun went off and the environment was electric to say the, the least. Is we were all one team and we were going to help our classmates who weren't as athletically gifted to make it. And so we all ran together. And in running together, we encouraged one another. We affirmed, we invested in one another, we instructed one another. And it was terrific to see people reach their goals. I, I, I know of a, I have a good friend and he was a good athlete. But he said, I want to do more in high school than just being in athletics. I, I want to be in one of the school plays. And that was a stretch for him to memorize lines, to be theatrical, to be dramatic, to show expression. And he went outside of his comfort zone. And when he, when he went for the audition, he was the laughing stock of the auditions. And he was somewhat humbled and embarrassed by it. But listen to me. The person that was heading up the drama says, I believe you have potential. I think there's some possibilities that if we get you in the right role, in the right place, and we invest in you, that you could be a shining star. By his senior year, this guy was Fred Astaire. I mean, it's amazing what he did. And we would go and we'd be like, dude, you were funny. You, you can sing. We didn't know you could sing. We didn't know you could do it. But he had to go outside of his comfort zone, he was comfortable in athletics. He was not comfortable in the arts. But someone saw potential and spoke to that potential and called out that potential. Let's not be silent. Jesus wasn't silent. He looked at Peter and he said, you're the rock. Peter like. The woman with the issue about it, he said, you're somebody. See, People are suffering and and hurting because we're silent. We think noble thoughts, but why don't we speak big words? Why don't we proclaim something? Why is it that being silent, you know, well, you just never know how they're going to receive it. Are you kidding me? Affirmation is always in season. People need 100 times more affirmation than they do criticism. We have enough critics. We need a lot more people that affirm the abilities that God wants to use people in. So God stretches us and then God sends us. He speaks to us. He strengthens us. He stretches us. He sends us. So here's a question as we're about to wind down today's message. And this is a a pondering question. Who knows God because you know God? Who knows God because you know God? I, I, I would hate to go to heaven and I, I say I have a best friend and he's been my best friend for 30 years and he doesn't know God and yet I knew God for 30 years. But somehow I thought just he'd pick it up by osmosis. Somehow he would just, you know, come into the light by me just being a part of his life. While being a witness is a part through our actions, being a witness is also fulfilled in using words.
if I was to call Charlene on the witness stand as a prosecuting attorney and I was to cross-examine her, and the whole time that she sat on the witness stand, she was silent, what kind of witness would she be to those she's trying to protect or defend? She wouldn't be of any use to them. Just, But if she told the story and she brought perspective and she brought light, it could make all the difference in the world to the way that people perceived what happened on that particular time or event that brought us to court. So I want to read to you some stories. These are true life stories. This is a story in summary of Walt Disney. Walt Disney was a young boy who grew up in Missouri in a small one-room schoolhouse. He was given an assignment one day by his teacher to draw flowers But he drew flowers with faces on them. The teacher replied, flowers don't have faces, Walt. And he replied unto her, mine do. She missed out on an opportunity to affirm and to testify of someone's created gifts and ingenuity. Albert Einstein's mother, uh, when approached by a math teacher about his concern for Albert's failing grades in her class, Suggested and the teacher suggested to the mother that he wasn't suited to achieve or to be prolific within mathematics. The mother responded, you must not recognize a genius when you see one. She was the witness that brought out the genius in Albert Einstein. Billy Graham was a young boy in North Carolina riding on the back streets of Tobacco Road, his bike. And the reputation of Billy Graham was he was aloof, he was a dreamer, he would never amount to anything, and he didn't have what it took to succeed or to have social skills in society. And to this day, there's never been one man in the history of Christendom that has led more people to faith in Christ. A Sunday school teacher in England felt as if she should go to her pastor and relinquish her right and privilege to teach a Sunday school class because she only had one student that faithfully attended. The pastor encouraged her to invest in this one student because every life matters. Little did she know that the one student, D.L. Moody, would later reach over one million people and feed hundreds of thousands of orphans and preach the gospel around the world in his lifetime. Brother Seymour, an African-American at the turn of the century, of the last century, of the turn of the century, was kicked out of Bible school because of his inability to communicate. He was a stutterer. He was not given an opportunity to preach in a pulpit in any of the local churches. He found, though, a livery stable, a stable in Los Angeles on A to Z Street, which later became Azusa Street, where the Spirit of God fell at midnight, at the turn of the century, and now over 100 million saints have embraced the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because someone believed in him. The someone was Brother Parham, who came from Topeka, Kansas, found Brother Seymour in Los Angeles, discouraged, distraught, and they and Brother Parham said, The hand of God is upon you. 
you're called into ministry, regardless of what other people say, God has used stutters in times past and he'll use you. And through that encouragement and through Parham investing in Brother Seymour, Pentecost and the Pentecostal message was revived in the world. Revived in the world. It was dormant and it came to life. We can never let judgmentalism or a self-righteous attitude cloud our view or opinion of people and the possibility that they possess. Remember that God dreams of saints in the midst of sinners. And we should not see people for who they are in the flesh, but who they are and who they can be because of Christ and the possibilities he brings into their life. I want to encourage you to prophetically affirm people for greatness. You know, I don't want to wait, and I know you don't, until Billy Graham is preaching to millions, D.L. Moody is caring for the orphans and building Bible colleges and uh, printing Bibles and books until Walt Disney has produced animation and theme parks and until Albert Einstein has finished his theory of relativity before I acknowledge the good things that are in them. May we see the good that God has placed in people. May we call out that good and may we encourage them to be all that they can be because of God's possibility. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.